You're listening to MeSearch, a podcast featuring Filipino perspectives. In this show, we talk to trailblazers, business leaders, and bosses in the community to find out more about what they do. Join us as we learn and get to the bottom of things. Stay tuned. Hey, Dustin. Hi, Crystal. Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hi, everybody. everybody. Just so you know, it's not a voice that I'm putting on. It's actually me being congested today. Oh, <laughs> look at me making fun of you. I know, God, you're without horrible. Knowing. You're, you're I really am the bad. worst. You're a bad human I'm a, being. <laughs> I'm a horrible friend. Sorry. I'll leave now. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> Okay, I'm letting myself back in. <laughs> Come into my life. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. It's just just so everyone knows. I'm. Uh. I think it's seasonal allergies. No. I haven't developed a fever. I definitely sound worse than I am in this moment. Um. But yeah, I am fine. I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad. I'm glad it's just allergies, boo. You know, I want it to go away, even though it's, it's fine, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, you know. No, allergies, it's awful because it feels like you're sick, like sick, sick sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, what is happening? Like when I first started getting allergies, I thought I was like super sick, but it just turned out they were allergies. Yeah. <laughs> and I probably could have just gone to class still. <laughs> and no, you probably need the needed the rest. Okay, well thank you. So yeah. Skip For- class, y'all. That's the lesson of the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, speaking of class. Yeah, speaking of class. See there, segues. Go ooh, ahead. ooh. Question for you, Boo. Question. Yeah. When was the first time you learned about Filipino history at school? Um, trick question never happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, God let's damn. see. K through 12, like, definitely didn't learn anything about yeah. Filipino history. Um, nothing about Filipino American history. I think I learned about Filipino American history because, like, my dad had brought something up about mm-hmm. the Filipino American War. Um, but I, my extent of knowledge was that it, it happened, but I didn't really understand the context behind that. Um, I think the first time I learned about anything Filipino related, Filipino history or Filipino American history related in an academic setting was in college, um, not in a class, but maybe, um, in my Filipino organization, my Filipino student organization that I was in, Katipunan at UC Riverside, mm-hmm. um, because they have, um, at one of the first general meetings, they talk about, well, more than just the first general meeting, but at multiple meetings, they talk about the history of Filipinos in America. Very, mm-hmm. uh, sur- a lot of surface level stuff, unless you care to have deep discussions with other students. But that was kind of my first intro to Filipino history. In an academic setting. So, not technically Mm. in a class, but um, school adjacent, I would say. Uh uh Uh-huh. What about you? Well, same, uh, pretty Mm. much. Um, I remember here and there uh, getting little sprinkles of uh, Filipino moments, short moments. It's like, ooh, a sentence with my origin country and it. I'm excited. How sad that I was excited over one sentence. Um, that's shitty. And it was like something about maybe, yeah, like the Philippine American war and, um, maybe in a Melda, a Melda Marcos moment, which is like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, same. It wasn't until, oh no, wait, which came first? Oh, maybe they came at the same time. Uh, so when I was at Cal State Long Beach, my first semester, I was in PAC, um, but I was also in ethnic studies and I had four different professors in that one class, one of them being a Filipina professor, which was amazing because it was my first time ever seeing a Filipina teaching. And I was like, what? Like wow. a unicorn. 
like a unicorn. And I was so, I was so shook. <laughs> I was so shook. And I was so happy that this was happening. And that same semester or that same year, I was in PCN. And that year we learned about the 1904 World's Fair. Shout out to Nino because yeah. he was my father-in-law in that PCN. Um, <laughs> Nino Lanera, former guest. Nino Lanera, hello. Um, but yeah, he, uh, or, yeah, that was my first time, like, really getting that introduction to Filipino, um, history and culture. And, um, I, yeah, it really, that really sparked my, my inch, or my need. It sparked my need to want to know more. So shout out to uh, Professor Linda Merrim at uh, Cal State Long Beach because she was amazing. And shout out to Pac because if it weren't for y'all, I probably wouldn't be here today sitting with you talking about all things Filipino. <laughs> you know what? That's, pro- that's so true, though. Yeah. It's so true. I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for me, like, feeling inclined to join the Filipino Student Org. At UC Riverside. Those orgs are important. They are. Speaking of important spaces (gasps) at collegiate campuses, Uh we have a really cool person on the podcast today, PhD candidate, Wayne Jopanda, who is the associate director of the Bulasan Center at UC Davis. So, uh, he's here to talk to us about his experience with uh, academia with Ethnic Studies, with the Bulasan Center, and all of the cool things that he does with them. So, let's get into this episode. Let's get into it! Alright! Hi y'all! Today on Search we have Associate Director of the Bulasan Center at UC Davis and PhD candidate Wayne Joe Panda. Welcome, welcome! Woo-hoo! Yay! Awesome! <laughs> so excited to be here with y'all. Thank you so much yes. for having me. Yes! Thank you for being with us uh, to talk today, uh, talk to us today about your journey and your work. We're so happy that you're here. Um, and to get things started, uh, can you tell us about the Bulasan Center and how you started to get involved in it? Yeah. So, I mean, the Bulasan Center is a labor of love, to be honest. It, it, com- it comes from the community. It comes from students, faculty, community organizers, knowing and recognizing there's a need for a space to not just promote Philippine studies, but to engage on different fronts. So our center is grassroots uh, uh, oriented and brought up by the leadership of uh, the amazing Dr. Robin Rodriguez, um, a professor at UC Davis and, and a dear mentor and like my academic Ate or big sister, right? Uh, it was really her idea working with myself and a couple other grad graduate students and undergraduate students at Davis, dreaming up this idea of a center that focuses on, on Philippinex diaspora, on Philippinex American studies, on arts, on culture, on engaging around issues politically that we feel we need to uplift and, and collaborate on. And that's kind of where the Bulosan Center came to be. We started off with, uh, a policy, a policy symposium back in 2018, the fall of 2018, that coincided with our launch dinner, our Bulasan Center launch dinner, where we aimed to just raise maybe $5,000 from community funds and tickets. We were able to end, end that dinner with over $35,000 and just Ooh, fundraising oh, from the wow. community. And these are folks who drove all the way from San Francisco, some folks from LA, from, from Little Manila, up in, in uh, uh, Central California and Stockton, who came up and just to be in community with us, who jumped up the Center for, for Philippinic Studies that wasn't just for Davis and wasn't just for our, you know, quote unquote community within, within uh, uh, Northern, Northern California, but for the greater state of California and, and to serve as many folks as we can, both Philippinic identified and, and our allies. So, um, without Dr. Rodriguez's leadership, without, you know, shout out to other graduate students, say Salinas, Kat Nassau, our uh, archivist Jason Sarmiento and so many others. They we we've really kind of did our best to center the community first, not center the ego, and really focus on working together to collaborate and build across uh, different communities. So they take on different research and work around 
not just academic research, but also the arts, looking at political engagement and policy and advocacy, as well as looking at education and as uh, educational aspects of Philippine studies, such as the implementation of Philippine American history and K-12 education, looking at ways that we can redefine our textbooks and understand our 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 connections and our uh, uh, positionalities and how we're represented in both textbooks and just in greater media. Uh, and really just doing what we can uh, to uplift Philippine studies. So in, in you know, a tiny sentence, the Bulosan Center is a labor of love. It's a labor of, uh, from the community, um, graduate students, undergraduate students, community organizers, youth, elders. Um, and it's a testament and a love letter to Philippine studies and to our history. Hell yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, hell yeah. Hell yes. My heart is like racing because this is just so exciting to hear. Like, this is what we need. Oh my gosh. And coming together as a community to to make this happen. Like, it's so beautiful. Um, Question. Mm -hmm. So for the folks who may not know, can you tell us who uh, the Bulasan Center is named after? Just to just a little quick education moment for of course. folks who may not know. <laughs> so the Bulosan Center, uh, we collectively named it, named it after Carlos Bulosan, who of course is a famed Filipino, uh, Filipino-American author uh, from the early 1900s who, ex- who was one of the first to come through to the U.S. from the Philippines diaspora. So looking from his experiences as an author, particularly uh, his, his work uh, um, America's, America's in the Heart uh, that kind of documents his experiences migrating from the Philippines to the U.S., working in, in the farmlands, working in Central California, uh, and just kind of leaving his legacy as a writer, as a political activist, and, and looking at he, how he navigates his his positionality and other Filipinx, Filipino, Filipina, American positionalities within uh, that time frame and how that even echoes to this day. So we reference Bolosan's work. We also recognize that there are aspects of his work or aspects of him that could be better, right? In terms of how he, uh, you know, he's, he views certain, certain uh, communities or certain aspects. But when it comes down to it, we honor the work he does and we want to continue that legacy and continue building upon that. So. Carlos Bulosan um, is a namesake of the organization. We actually were able to meet with one of his descendants, uh, his niece, uh, who sits on our board for the Bulosan Center and shared all the work we've done around community engagement, around education, around the research, particularly right now around COVID-19 and how it impacts uh, our communities. Shout out to RJ Tagoga, our research director, for leading that. Uh, and she was just excited and gave us a blessing to, 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 you know, honor his name in, in that way. So we're working closely with her and she's definitely been a blessing to be able to build with and continue that legacy. Uh, That's awesome. Yes. So you, you talked about kind of the very good work that the, uh, the Bulasan Center is doing. Can you speak to what it means to you personally to be involved as the associate director? Oh, man, I'm about to get super emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Yes. I, 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 yeah, I love this. Um, the Bulosan Center means so much. Uh, just a quick little side story, and do let me know if I'm, I'm rambling too much. Uh, I, I went, you know, I'm a first-generation college student, come from middle, low, middle-income uh, uh, family, parents are immigrants, workers. My dad's a contractor and work in construction. My mom works multiple jobs as a caregiver, Worked as a nanny, you know, in Canada, all that. And coming up, you know, it was so important for, for, for me in my mind to go to college, do well, take care of fam. You know, that, that narrative that's kind of shared by a lot of us. Uh, and there was that extra pressure knowing that my family, both my parents and particularly my family in general, have really just toiled a lot within physical labor. And, and I honor that, but also see how much that, that's impacted their health, impacted their body, impacted their longevity. Um, uh, in this life. And I think one of the things I was so focused on was wanting, wanting to do as much as I can to support them. So I applied, went to uh, UC Berkeley, luckily, which is you know, my dream school back then. And um, I fell in love with science in a way and realized I fell out of love with it fairly quickly. <laughs> and I knew I didn't want to go into law school. I knew I didn't want to go in that path. Took an internship in DC and you know, shout out to the folks who do that work. My partner being one of them uh, in, in the policy field, but it just wasn't my my jam. And what I found out was 
uh, during my time at, at Cal, during my second year, I took a class in ethnic studies uh, with a professor who I hold very dear to my heart, uh, Professor Victoria Robinson. Uh, and I met my first uh, TA or graduate instructor there, Dr. Michael Castaneda, who teaches at Western Washington University. And they were the first folks to really open up and, and help me understand what ethnic studies can be. Right. And how learning about our communities, uplifting Filipinic studies, critical Filipina, 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 Filipinic studies can uh, continue to strive beyond the university. Uh, so it was through that class that I was able to put language to my, my family's experiences, you know, and I was able to read a book that really just struck me, uh, 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 uh so deep, which was, uh, Dr. Robin Rodriguez's Americans for Export, which broke down the systems of forced migration in the Philippines, these systems that have led so many of our family members to feel like they need to leave the homeland to seek work abroad, and how that ties to this long history of uh, uh, the commodification or the use of our bodies as bodies of migrant labor, right? And um, it was through that, you know, long story short, I reached out to Dr. Rod, and I was really nervous. I thought she was going to be, you know, the super like academic, really badass work. I was like, I need to, you know, get my, 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 my questions and my, my, my readings right. But she answered with me, but with nothing but community love and, and told me, Hey, let's grab coffee and grab a sandwich somewhere. So we went to a local cafe in Oakland, um, just grubbed. I was super nervous, but she was fam. We just laughed about how she's from, she's from Union City. I'm from Hayward, California. So we were just laughing about that. Uh, we talked about high school. We talked about our family's experiences and, from there, you know, I told her about how I felt lost. I felt lost uh, with with um, what I was doing in college, and she told me, "Okay, well, why don't you keep on reading some of these studies books? Let's talk more about it. And if you want to think about a path in academia as a scholar activist, let's talk about it. Because all all I've known from from my experience in in that world has been, you know, very cut and dry type of academic work. But seeing the work that she was doing with organizations like Gabriela USA." With students and artists of, of, across across the realm, with community members back in the homeland, it was beautiful. And it was so inspiring, and it was. Re- I, I I was so happy to be able to have the chance to tell her, "Hey, your book inspired me so much, and it gave me and my family the language to actually talk about our transnational experiences." It wasn't until after reading that book that I was able to kind of bring it to my mom and dad, who were like, eh, "They like reading, but not really that much, to be honest." But I told them, "Hey." Did y'all know about the POEA or, or did y'all know about this, this act back in, in the 70s and the labor export system and Marcos and the regime and how that's kind of put pressure? Like, yeah, yeah. We used to go, you know, to disco at night and have to kind of hide away because there's that whole, um, curfew rule, you know, back in martial law. Right. And I was like, wow, yeah. I had no idea. There's all these stories, all these, not just trauma, but also resilience from my family's experiences. And I, I thank Dr. Rodriguez. I thank Philippine Studies. For, for allowing me to have the avenue to talk with them in, in a deeper context. So um, definitely a lot of love to Dr. Rod, who's been that, that you know, A-plus mentor, femtor for me. The Bulosan Center is a dream come true. And it's at that cafe that she and I kind of t- talk about, huh, wouldn't it be really cool if in 20 years we're able to start a center just on Philippinic studies? There's folks who do that on Chicanic studies and, and Afro studies, and it'll be really cool. It'll probably take, you know, decades and after we're gone, but like, that'll be really cool to plant the seeds. But we luckily were able to get the right folks together and, and, uh, made it happen, uh, back in 2018. And that's where the Bulosan Center came out of. Uh, it was a labor of love from graduate, undergraduate students, community members, and of course, under the leadership of Dr. Rod. So, uh, that's kind of where we're at. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing to be able to work and, and build with the Bulosan Center. Uh, they're definitely family. And it's, I, I don't see it as work, to be honest. I see it as, as, as community love. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. So, yeah. Beautiful. Ah, it's so exciting. What a wonderful pivotal moment in your life that you shared with us. Um, can you, can you talk about why ethnic studies is important? Like generally speaking, like why do we need that? Yeah, no, ethnic studies, I mean, people say all the time and, uh, uh, shout out to, to the late, uh, Dr. Don Ambalan, who really fought for not institutionalization and protection of ethnic studies, but ethnic studies to go across and beyond academia, quote unquote, beyond a university into K through 12, uh, uh, education into education for the masses and, and, the, and the greater community, right? And I think something that ethnic studies does is it allows us 
and provides a space to critically analyze and question how history has been taught in the past, right? And let's be real. When we think about who's written history for the majority of our country's history, particularly the U.S., it's, you know, white men who established what history was, right? Uh, the erasure of black and brown folks. And uh, in this case, when we're talking about Filipino studies, Filipino, Filipina, Filipinx folks is real in, in, in U.S. history. And, you know, it's not just about having us in a textbook. It's beyond that. It's about understanding how the uh, how our experiences and how this history of Filipino, Filipina, Filipinx folks in the U.S. Uh, has has strived all the way back to, to the 1600s, right? In in, in New Orleans and, and looking at uh, or, or looking at some um, folks all across the diaspora and how it's, how it's breaking down there. So um, I, I think it's when when it comes down to ethnic studies, it's really a pivotal moment of not just knowing our history and knowing ourselves. But providing us with with an analysis that critically identifies structures and systems and policies and historic events that have led to obstacles or ways that our communities are marginalized, right? And it's this mm-hmm. way of challenging Eurocentric, heteropatriarchal, uh, cis, uh, heteropatriarchal kind of ways of being and, 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 and frameworks that allows us to build a better, just world, right? So it's not mm-hmm. just about you know, revolution and uh, 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 and doing better and creating a better world, but also creating a better world through healing. And I, I honestly think ethics study is both that. It's yeah. it's resistance and it's healing because re- healing can and is resistance and vice versa. And that's where, where I see ethics studies right now. It's a pivotal uh, space for youth, for elders to share their experiences, for youth to engage in these lessons, and for folks to to, to build across. Uh, not just through solidarity, but through active uh, uh, um, uh, agency against white supremacy, against heteropatriarchy, and against these systems that have continued to plague and 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 uh, immobilize us. So that's that's kind of how I see ethics studies and why I love it so much. I love that you're so involved in doing such critical work that helps every generation moving forward to critically analyze, you know, these systems that are at play that perpetuate white supremacy and like liberate us in a way. Being a scholar of color, I can imagine that participating in an institution like education, the education system, um, it, it can come with its challenges. So how do you, as an academic, deal with the stresses of working in an institution that is built like on foundations of like white supremacy and so forth? I love this question. Thank you so much, Dustin. We, me, my, my colleagues and I, my, my comrades and I have spoken about this and recognize that when we think about what we're doing, our labor as quote unquote academics or scholar activists, that we still toil and hustle and are built within an institution that has historically marginalized us, that has historically called our people's savages. And if we go, if we trace the history back and shout out to, to Stacey Salinas, who's, who's a, a badass Pinay historian for the Bulusan Center, who could definitely speak more on, on this. Um, my, my work and the research I look on is looking at the legacy of colonial education, U.S. colonial education in the Philippines. The way the Philippines education system is so westernized, centers English, focuses on, on these certain aspects now, today, is directly shaped by the, the UC system. The same UC system I'm in right now, the same UC system I quote unquote work for, right? So there's kind of a, uh, um, a rhyming there that I feel is really important for us to name, a tension there that I still feel uh, that, that is still heavy, but it's important to recognize, right? Is that, you know, the, uh, David Barrow was the president of the, of the UC system at the time, was also the superintendent of, of uh, 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 the Philippine Islands education system back back in the early 1900s. Established uh, the education systems that kind of led to uh, where it is now, right? And, and, and that kind of strong connection between the US and the Philippines, uh, particularly uh, along colonial and, and imperialist uh, uh, relations. So when it comes down to where I'm at, my positionality in the university, it's it's always there, front and center. And it's something that me and a lot of other uh, uh, graduate students of color, doctoral students of color, really name out, out front and, uh, and recognize that the university and these institutions and the institution of academia can only do so much for the community, which is why I think for the Bulasan Center and under the leadership of Dr. Rodriguez and so many other Amazing scholars, Dr. Alison Tatianko, 
uh, uh, Dr. Tracy Buenavista, Dr. Valerie Francisco, that we center not just learning and radical learning within the university, but center learning that happens outside, right? Uh, with the community, community-led, worker-led education that doesn't just uphold this, this academic um, uh, uh, kind of hierarchy where, where we look at the ivory tower as a end-all be-all, right? Because at the end of the day, the ivory tower should not be the end-all be-all. It shouldn't be who we turn to because when it comes down to it, it's built upon white supremacist ways of being and understanding the world. So when it comes down to it, the Wilson Center, even though we are built within UC Davis, within the institution, we still challenge these ideas. We still recognize our positionalities and we still want to name uh, these histories and current conditions that continue to harm and impact our community. So it's like being in the belly of the beast in a way, right? I have mm-hmm. friends who, who, who work in DC who do that work and they say that same thing. It's like, oh, well, I want to do all this work, but we're, you know, I'm also in the belly of the beast. Uh, it, it's also recognizing that, that some of the most revolutionary and groundbreaking work is going to have to be done outside academia. And as a Bullet mm-hmm. Center, we want to do everything we can to build a cross, right? To protect and honor Filipino studies, to protect and honor community organizer work, and to build across these bridges and to bring folks together to continue uplifting Filipino studies uh, in its future altogether. Yes. Um, specifically within the UC system, can you tell us why the Bulusan Center is, is so important? Mm, no, this is a great question. I think for a while, there's been so many different iterations of, of uh uh, students of color, particularly Filipino, Filipino, Filipino identified folks and students at the UC system who've been pushing for a Filipino studies uh, uh, program. I mean, shout out to the folks at UC Berkeley who've been fighting for that for a while. Even before I was an undergrad, I met older folks, older students uh, when I was a freshman who told me that they were fighting really hard to try and uh, establish uh, uh, a Philippine studies or a Filipino American studies program, major system, something, right? And there, there's been some amazing uh, waves that come across that. But when it came down to, I think it was just the right timing and the right place and the right group of people who felt like that they were able to, were down to kind of put that labor in, right? Under, I guess, again, the, the leadership of Dr. Rodriguez and recognizing the, the, the lack of, vis- not just visibility, but the lack of leadership uh, by Filipino, Filipina, Filipinx folks, students, staff, faculty, Elitist charge. We wanted to build that space, so we knew that there was um, a space to be filled. We knew that there was something lacking. There was so much richness in, in our histories within our community organizing uh, uh, organizers across California and across the United States that we that it was just overdue. It was overdue that one of the largest uh, immigrant communities and particularly Asian American Asian American communities in California deserves to have this space and deserves deserves to have this moment and multiple moments of sharing our stories, sharing our experiences and building across these communities. So I think that's, that's kind of where it came out of. Um, and, and that's kind of where we're at right now is continuing to, to build that momentum and to continue honoring the folks who've built this in the past. So I want to be very like clear that there have been folks across the UC system have, who have been pushing for something like the, like the Bulasan Center, uh, but I also want to be clear that want to clarify, clarify that even though we may be one of the first of our kind as a grassroots centered research center, that there's amazing folks doing this work already uh, across folks at UH Manoa, folks uh, at New York University. Uh, shout out to the folks at UCLA who just established their uh, 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 Filipino language program. Uh, that's amazing. And to really uh, decenter this idea that the Busan Center is just Davis because we're not. Like our whole idea is about decentering and, and working away from this kind of assumed notion of ego. Oh, it has to be us. It has to be us publishing. It has to be us mm. at the forefront. We want to build and we want to fight against this very capitalistic way that folks see academia or how they see, you know, even sometimes community organizing. Like, and I had to learn a lot of that, about that, right? Uh, as, mm-hmm. as a youth and as, as an undergrad and all that is a lot of folks get, you know, tripped up and, and trying to kind of follow the ego. And we want everyone to feel yeah. affirmed and honored. But there's, you know, I love that uh, Lizzo lyric. There's no sunshine for everybody, right? Like, if I'm going to shine, everyone's going to shine. I want to make sure yes. everybody is in this together. And that's, that's all about like, uh, that, that community spirit. And that's all about what the Bulletin Center is about. Like, we want to decenter ourselves. We want to be able to uplift our community wherever we're at, uh, which is one of the reasons why our recent 
recent internship program was actually online. You had interns from like Canada and New Zealand and, you know, New Mexico and Arizona and New York. We wanted to recognize that we didn't just want to be, oh, look, the Bulletin Center is really dope. They're doing amazing work at Davis. Like, no, I work with the Bulletin Center. We all, I, we also get to work with them. We also get to build with them. <laughs> and we have students and, and, and organizers who are, who are leading workshops and events across, across the nation, right? It's really about not, you know, uh, letting go of that ego that comes with academia and that kind of work and, and understanding that in order for us to, you know, reach collective liberation and healing and all that, it takes all of us, right? And that's kind of where we're at as a center is we really want to center and uplift other folks and not just ourselves, not just a handful of grad students and undergrads and Dr. Rod, but we want to make sure that we are a space for everybody that everyone feels to have ownership of and, and are able to uh, call home. That's kind of what we're about and then what we strive to be. Amen. Um, shout out to everyone, every single person who has done their part to like see all these spaces opening up for us and also sign me up. <laughs> got you, got you. Yes. Sign me up. All right, y'all. We're going to take a quick break. So sit tight. We will be back with Wayne. With Wayne. <laughs> Okay, y'all, we're back. We're back with Wayne. Um, We've (laughs) had a lot of really great conversations about uh, the importance of ethnic studies, the really great work that the Bulletin Center is doing, um, and also topics related to decentering, you know, ourselves and helping the community in general. Um, Considering all of what we've talked about today, Wayne, what are a few tips or actions you would like our listeners to take from this conversation? I love this. Um, I love this question. Hopefully this isn't a weird, no, it's not a weird answer at all. Rest. I, I asked folks <laughs> to rest in this time of COVID slash intensity around different issues and, and, and uh, events going on in the world. I mean, uh, the fires going around in, in my own backyard, like mm. it's important for us to rest. I think we live in a society where we really focus on productivity and what that looks like. I, you know, look at and study how early U.S. colonial education in the Philippines really breaks down and kind of establishes way of, of the Phoenix bodies being commodified as bodies of labor. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, like throughout our histories and throughout this, the history of U.S. Philippines diaspora, we've been touted and seen and uplifted as these premier migrant worker labor, you know, entities, uh, you know, shout out to Dr. Rodriguez, who wrote her whole book on, on this, not the system, that we need to recognize that we're able to break away from that, right? And that rest in itself is revolutionary. The rest in itself is active. Um, and I think that's something that's been super key for me. Um, you know, I, I just recently finished my PhD uh, uh, um, uh, qualifying exam. So I'm a PhD candidate now. And I had the, certain, the, the, the urge of like, oh, what's next? I need to be ready to do what's next. And I think that's been something that's ingrained within our education system, unfortunately, from K through 12 grades, like you want to go and, you know, from kindergarten, do well. So you get had a foundation and do well in grade school, sixth grade, you want to do well. So you could do well in middle school, middle school for some folks, you got to apply for some high schools that are, you know, really up there. Right. Um, and you want to do well to get to get in a good high school, you want to do well in high school, of course, going to a, a good college. It, it becomes this whole kind of cycle of, of needing to produce and produce and reproduce and when it comes down to it, I think one of, one of the key things is to stand back and step back and, and, and challenge that and recognize yeah. that we are not what we produce. That productivity comes in different means and forms. Productivity comes in the forms of, of, of rest and restoration. It comes in the, the form of collaboration, which is something that we are really, uh, highly, highly about at the Blue Sun Center. You know, if we're able to collaborate with another space, organization or people, we're, we're going to do that. We don't want it just to be us. We, we try our best to make sure that everything we do is a collaboration with community and it's multiple forms, right? And I think that's one of the key things that I hope folks take away, especially in this uh, intense time, is to, to center our rest, center your healing, center your ability to, to say no to, to events or, or things that are, that are asked of you. Because I think, I mean, I'll be real, like, and I'm working through this with, with therapy, right? It's like, you know, 
I know I grew up being a people pleaser. I know a lot of our Filipinx kin grew up mm. being that because that's kind of what we want to do well and, and we want to make sure our mom and, and dad or grandma Lola, Lola, are feeling good about us or you know are, are happy because they do so much for us. They sacrifice mm-hmm, for us mm-hmm. that we sometimes forget about how we become our own martyrs and how we kind of uh, 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 forget about taking care of ourselves first and foremost, right? So I think it's, it's really about if, if you're able to and have the capacity and are, are, are feeling ready to, Seek support for your mental health. Seek healing ac- access for healing opportunities. You know, for me, therapy is great. It's been a godsend, yes. especially since since COVID nineteen. I found out I have you know ADHD and OCD, and I didn't know what that really means until now. And being able to engage that while in academia, while mentoring and working with students, while community organizing, uh, and breaking away from that stigma. Right. Neuro- neurodiversity is, is not a weakness. It's a strength. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to recognize and to be able to build with. And it wasn't until I was more publicly open about my own neurodiversity, I was able to connect with folks who I had no idea had their own experiences with it. And we were able to kind of just build off each other and support one another and, and recognize certain patterns and, and how, how we could continue to heal and, 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 and build as, as, a, as a neurodiverse community. And I think it's, it's all about that. You know, it's, it's about, Centering healing, centering yourself, recognizing that we all deserve healing and we all deserve happiness and we all deserve to take a break and rest. That's kind of what I ask folks to do and to reflect on. I really appreciate that so much because, uh, yeah, we need to talk more about this, about mental health and healing because there's nothing wrong with naming the things that have in, have been part of us and, and recognizing it and finding the path to, to owning it and like loving that part of yourself, you know, yes. like it's okay, y'all. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's go to therapy, you know? Um, yeah, I really appreciate that because I feel like we need to hear that a lot more often because we're so afraid of it as a community. Yes. Exactly. And, and I'll be real. When I first um, was super open with my family, hey, yeah, I'm going to therapy. Like, oh, there's this initial, now I don't, I don't want to generalize, but I feel like a lot of folks sometimes in our community may think, oh, there's something wrong. What's wrong? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, okay? yeah. Do you need, do you need anything? Why well, is bring you food? Which is, you know, I didn't take that, you know, in any bad way or anything like that. It's, it's a sign of their love language. They're trying to provide, you know, service and support. They think something's wrong. But, you know, I think that's something I had a beautiful conversation with my, with my mom, my family, uh, yet last night. Uh, we're celebrating her 60th birthday. Happy birthday to my mom, Rose. Hey. Um, Happy birthday. We were talking about, <laughs> hey, therapy doesn't mean something's wrong. Right. And my dad loves cars. So I'm like, it's like, Going to the mechanic to get your oil change in a way, right? It's yes. like you know, getting getting you know, you know things things done to make sure your car's running smoothly. If you th- you know, it might be a crude reference or or, or a, a, a comparison, but there's nothing necessarily wrong. It's just like making sure that you yeah. have support you need to keep on doing what you need to do. That you're not overworking yourself. That if there is anything coming up, that you're able to have a safe space that you trust, uh, whether it be a therapist or a close friend or or, or a um, a men's healing circle, which I'm, I'm a part of, <laughs> thankfully through the, through yeah. the uh, COVID community, uh, COVID times, um, that you're able to heal and, and actively work on yourself and actively work on that healing journey. Um, I think, um, you know, it's taking some time, but I think you're recognizing that and we're recognizing that, recognizing that together. And my family is now a bit more open about maybe even looking into therapy for themselves. And that made okay. me really emotional because, uh, you know, the intergenerational healing is so important. Um, yes. but yeah, that's kind of where, where we're at uh, in terms of our family's <laughs> healing process and journey. That's beautiful. I love this Thank journey. Thank you for sharing that. I yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah, I think a lot of folks will appreciate having heard that, Wade. So thank you for sharing. Um, so it's just about that time. Where can people go to learn more about you and kind of the the stuff that you do with the Bulasan Center or any um, any projects that you would like to shout out at this moment? Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily have any projects right now. I do have some things coming up. A couple of book chapters, some in collaboration with, with some amazing folks, uh, including Michael Castaneda and uh, Dr. Michael Castaneda and Dr. Robin Rodriguez. Um, I have uh, something in, in the works with uh, the amazing Angel Trazo that will be released soon that focuses on the experiences of Filipino, Filipina, Filipinx traffic teachers and how, you know, they've 
found these pathways of coming to the U.S., um, unfortunately being trafficked, but recognizing ways to resist against their traffickers and against uh, these systems that have, that have taken advantage of their labor and how they have now are acting as and serving as uh, community organizers and anti-trafficking organizers uh, and activists, which is really, really badass. And, and uh, shout out to the folks at Gabriela and, and Migrante for, mm. for being in collaboration with that. Um, but yeah, you can find the Bulosan Center at bulosancenter.ucdavis.edu. Uh, you can also find us at Instagram at Bulosan Center, uh, B-U-L-O-S-A-N-C-E-N-T-E-R. Um, and if folks are interested in just, you know, building community, reaching out, talking, and, and just chatting about whatever mental health or Philippinic studies or whatever that might be, or just, you know, <laughs> being friends and whatever that might be, feel free to reach out to uh, uh, my email at wejopanda at ucdavis.edu. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at jopandasol, J-O-P-A-N, J-O-P-A-N-D-A-S-A-L. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to just go with folks and to, to learn about everyone's stories. So. Yes. Oh my goodness. This was an amazing conversation. We're so happy that you joined us. We're so excited for everything that you're doing for the community. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us and for sharing. Y'all, this was Wayne Jopanda. Thank y'all so much. Wayne, y'all. Wayne Y'all, what an amazing human. What an amazing human. I was inspired Uh, today. I was inspired too. I was getting really emotional just listening to him talk and just his energy was just so, there was so much warmth and I was literally telling Dustin that I was about to cry because his kindness is just so overwhelmingly amazing. (laughs) You know, honestly, like me too, I was like... There were moments in our conversation where I felt like so validated. Yes. Yeah. So thank you to to Wayne for existing. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. And for spending uh, your time with us on this podcast. Um, I'm very much appreciated. So with all of we with all of what we talked about today, Crystal, what was one of the takeaways that you were holding tightly after Damn. this episode? Just one, just one. Just okay. one. Well, just you, get, one. you get one for this for this section of the all podcast, right, but right, you can take as right. many as you want later. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what's really sticking out right now is his piece on or his his advice that we we need to find rest. And I yeah. think that what he said about rest being healing is is completely on the nose. Because I think finding rest is definitely walking away from these white supremacist structures. We are, we are so attuned to this structure and we're so immersed in this structure. And it's all that we know. That's how we've been trained, especially as Filipinos. Um, and I know a lot of other immigrant uh, communities feel this way, but we have become the pawns to this the structure and we don't feel worthy of rest, you know, and we are, we are worthy of rest. We deserve to rest. We deserve to walk away from, uh, anything that has kept us down. And yes, we do need to work, but we, we need to take care of ourselves. And, um, I think it's really cool to see rest in a way that is also revolutionary because yeah, we're walking away from something that is not from a structure that is not built for us. And that in itself is a revolutionary act and hell you're fucking resting and you're chilling. So take the rest. We're fucking tired. I know we're tired. (laughs) I know we are tired. This system is exhausting as fuck. Am I right? <laughs> you are right. And it's it's funny because that that piece also stuck out to me. Um, because, I mean, obviously I sound the way that I do. Part of that is because I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he was like, yeah, you deserve rest. I'm like, yes, I do deserve rest. And I was very burnt out from oh. just work. 
And yeah. I took some days off and, you know, like I felt great about it. I'm like, you know what? I think a lot of times we feel so conditioned to like, like Wayne was saying, it's like this capitalist system trains our brains to think that we must be productive and that we owe our bodies to other people or other systems. But mm, mm-hmm. dude, you know, our life is so short. Like we need to, we owe it to ourselves to just chill every now and then, yeah. you know? And I was chilling this past week and I feel great about it. I'm glad, boo. You work so hard and you are so productive all the time. And I I love how how much you dig into these things, but I'm really happy to see you rest. Yeah, I've said no to multiple things and I'm like, not sorry about it. <laughs> Good. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, no, I will not do that. Sorry, somebody else do it. <laughs> Yeah, and also free time, y'all. I I think I saw a meme about this. Just because you're free doesn't mean you're available. Correct. I need to remember that. We all need to remember that. Because again, like, especially American society. Again, very capitalist. Very Mm -hmm. much like, how can you be productive to society? Like, I don't want to be productive. I want to chill. I want to chill right now, at least. Yeah, Yeah. and I want to be productive for myself, which means I want to close my eyes and lay down and not hear or see anyone or anything. Yeah. I mean, we joke about it, but also it's like very serious, very serious. It's very serious, actually. Yes, I I can definitely vouch for that. I, yeah, Yeah. I, I once had a very severe panic attack because... Of many things, one of them not finding rest. <laughs> one Did of I the tell many you I things. had a panic attack um, several weeks back too. No. Oh. <laughs> Are you okay? You know, probably, um, probably not. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, like, but this is a good reminder. This is a good reminder. We need to take care of ourselves. <laughs> Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And and it's also like, it's work. And sh- shout out to HDA because I love y'all. But <laughs> um, it's exhausting keeping up with the world and everything that's happening. And even if we don't think about it, I feel like our our minds and our bodies are engaging in it because how can you not regardless of like how much you're actively like trying to like see what's going on Mm -hmm. especially with covid you know it's exhausting to have to pay it well not even i don't know who the fuck is paying attention you know if you are if you aren't but just the fact that we're in this whole pandemic is exhausting yeah emotionally so like if you need a moment like Take your moment. <laughs> we owe it to ourselves to have this a moment. This shit is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to live in chaos. Right. It's okay. You don't need to live in chaos. And I think that's something that we... Um, we provide excuses for. You know? We provide a lot of excuses for the chaos that we seem to be in. So... Stop that. Allow peace into your hearts. Allow peace. Yes. Yeah, allow peace. Yeah. What about you, Boo? Oh, yes. So, aside from that, I think uh, one piece that stuck out to me that I will take away is how he navigated academia. Um, because we talk a lot about how, you know, the structures that we live in in America mm-hmm. is founded on white supremacy. Um, and being a higher education professional speaking to um, an individual like Wayne and other folks who are very engaged in academia and in education systems, you know, it's, it's sometimes very tricky to find your place in a system that was not built for you. Like education systems, many pieces about education, the education system is to uphold capitalism and other structures that are meant to oppress marginalized peoples and being a person of color in a system that doesn't serve you. I was very interested to, to, to hear how Wayne 
navigated that space, mm. negotiated what that means in his own mind, and the fact that ethnic studies and spaces like the Bulasan Center exist yeah. is very, uh, very comforting to know because, you know, education is very important in general because it is a huge factor when it comes to social mobility. But again, mm-hmm. it's like founded on white supremacy. So having to like figure out how to marry those ideas it's very difficult. So knowing, again, that we have specific uh, fields of study and specific physical spaces dedicated to marginalized communities, like the Bulasan Center, like ethnic studies and so forth, it combats the idea, the notion that, you know, education is for white people. Mm-hmm. They are in the belly of the beast indeed. Yeah. You are yeah. in the belly of the beast. You know, I try. <laughs> I try to survive. I try. Yeah. Uh, spaces like this, this podcast, and also engaging with other uh, academics of color is very, like, healing. It really is. I mm-hmm. I feel very excited about this move that UC Davis is doing and how they are also decentering themselves and allowing the community to be part of this um this movement that they're creating, you know? And it's, I love how he was like, it's not just UC Davis. It's like anyone who's in like, come on, you know, truly for the community, truly for the advancement of the people. Yeah. So Bulasan center, hit us up if y'all need stuff, because I know, I know I really want to be, I really want to like, be there and support y'all in whatever way you need. Down for the cause. Down for the cause. Hashtag down for the cause. Hashtag down for the cause. Hashtag down for the cause. <laughs> All right, Crystal, any final words? Any final thoughts from you, boo? I just feel so empowered, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm grateful for any and all spaces. So shout out to anyone who has been part of, who is in, who is doing it. Um, yeah, let's keep let's keep it going. Keep it going, y'all. Let's all keep right. it going. We'll see you all at the next episode. See ya. Bye. See ya. Thank you. Thanks for listening. MeSearch is produced and hosted by Dustin Domingo and Crystal Tugatti. Editing by Dustin Domingo. If you enjoy MeSearch, make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure to check us out at MeSearchPodcast.com and follow us at MeSearchPodcast. We're going to get to the bottom of things. This is MeSearch, folks. Woo-hoo!